to grab a bulletin on your way in, but I just wanted to highlight a couple of the things coming up in the life of the church that I don't want you to miss out on. Um, well, with Thanksgiving behind us, we are looking forward to Christmas, to the Christmas season. And um, on the back connect wall, we've got a card up there. It says holiday happenings at the top. And that has all the details for all of the events coming up in the next few weeks. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Faith Women, I encourage you. We have the Heart of Christmas coming up. I, this is just crazy. It's next Sunday, next Sunday evening, right here in the Worship Center for just $5. We would love to have you come. We will be doing um, some beautiful fellowship. We'll have some festive fun with uh, an ornament exchange and an encouraging message uh, by a power, power, powerhouse in the kingdom, uh, Christina Loveless. So I would love for you to come to that. All you need to do is sign up online. You can um, jump on over to the homepage of the website, uh, faithstatesville.org, or even easier, there is a flyer in the back on the connect wall with a QR code. You can scan that, sign up um, today for Heart of Christmas. We would love to have you there for that. We also have the Faith Kids Christmas Party coming up on Wednesday, December 14th at 6.30. Uh, we are so excited to do that, to celebrate with the kids and point them to Jesus this season over in the Fellowship Hall with crafts and games and snacks. We do want you to register your kids or if you have neighbors or kids, uh, friends, we would love all of them to come. Just register them online so we know how uh, many supplies to prepare for them. And again, grab this on your way out. Stick that on your fridge. You'll see the times for a Christmas service. It's kind of interesting because Christmas is on a Sunday this year. All the detailed um, service times are on there for your reference. So make sure you grab one of those on the way out. And if they run out, I will print more next week. Of course, it's also on the website. So if you forget or you lose your card, all the times and all of that is on the website, on the homepage there wanted to share with you this morning as we kind of get ready to um, turn our, our hearts and our eyes to, to praise the Lord. Um, I was asking God what he, what he wanted his people at Faith Church to know this morning. And um, I think many of us long to be cherished on the earth um, by the people in our lives, um, particularly important people in our lives. And, and for most of us, the, the ones that we long to be cherished by at some point, in some way, fall short. But Jesus, Jesus, the one who never fails, the one who never changes, says you are cherished. In all his strength, in all his power, in all his authority, his magnitude, in all of that, he takes his finger, he puts it under your chin, and he gently lifts your head. He is the lifter of your head. Yeah. He lifts your head until his, your eyes meet his. And he looks at you and he says, I cherish you. If you'd stand with me as we pray. Jesus, as we behold your face. God, as we behold your face. Lord, you say in your word that you transform us from glory to glory. We quote that verse all the time, God. We want to be transformed by you, but your word says that it happens as we're beholding 
you. So help us behold your face. God, don't let us give you reasons why you shouldn't cherish us. Don't let us throw excuses at you and try to talk you out of cherishing us because it's just what you do. Help us simply trust the strength of your love. Help us be rooted in the fact that you cherish us. And God, right now I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us worship you in spirit and in truth right now out of the reality that you are the lifter of our heads and we are cherished by you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a word from the Lord. Have you had a great Thanksgiving? You know, the last time we saw you, we were getting ready for Thanksgiving and preparing our hearts for that and enjoying an amazing meal together. I want to tell you, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Go all the way to the end and hear the testimonies of what people were thankful for and what God has done in the lives of his people. So as we... um kind of start out this morning with the song of thanksgiving. It may be new to you to raise your hands to the Lord. The scripture tells us to raise our hands and also to raise them in the sanctuary. So this song kind of encourages that. And so I encourage you to break out of your comfort zone and just go, okay, Lord, I can do this. I'm going to raise, I'm going to raise my hands to you. But let's just worship him with our whole hearts. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Sickness and 
we come into this season of Advent, it's hard to believe that this is the first season, first Sunday of the Advent season. They were looking for the Messiah, the anointed one of God to come and rescue them. And today we stand here at our place in time, looking forward and looking for the Messiah to return. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed be.
Jesus' name, I pray that 
pray that, that that access would be experienced by us this morning, that we would hear directly from the Father, that your words would be spoken into our hearts, that we would hear directly what we need to hear from you by the power of the Spirit in us. So as we open your word, let that be true. Let my words be quiet and your words be loud. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. We are starting off our series in Advent that came up very quickly. Advent came up really quickly. It's 
freaking me out a little bit, but it's okay. But we're going to talk about the miracles of his birth. And uh, uh, I realized uh, it was last week. Last week I was complaining about having to give uh, holiday messages because they're always difficult. And so I wanted to, to at least look at these miracles around Jesus in a different way, um, in a way that it's, it's actually more teaching than just repeating to you, thank you, Jared, repeating to you stories that you've heard over and over. And so during the Advent season, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, we're going to be looking at the miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus. So this week we're going to look at, at prophecy. Next week, uh, or throughout the series, we'll look at the angels, we'll look at the dreams, we'll look at the virgin birth. We'll look at these. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the opportunity to, to yes, this morning, we'll, we'll look at the prophecies around Jesus, but we'll also look at what the prophecy, what prophecy is said about throughout the Bible. We'll look at uh, prophecy throughout the Bible from uh, the Old Testament to the New Testament and now into where we live today. When we talk about dreams, we'll look at the dreams surrounding the birth of Jesus, and then we'll talk about how dreams operate in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and now today. So while we will have the focus on Christmas, I also want to give you something to leave with that has to do with what's surrounding Jesus. Because we're not supposed to look at the birth of Jesus and just say, well, that was stuff that happened then and there. This doesn't happen now because the Bible never teaches that. So that's what we're going to do in this Advent season. And the Advent season is for us to anticipate, to look ahead at the birth of Jesus and to wait uh, and to look in anticipation for what that means for us, to get excited about celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we do it in four weeks. And, and the Old, the old uh, Testament was written, it stopped 400 years before Jesus. So for 400 years, they waited. And then the people before that had even waited. So it was longer than that. It's centuries and centuries and centuries of Israel waiting for the Messiah that was to save them. And so we take these four weeks and we anticipate the birth of Jesus and what that means. And so like I said, we're going to, talk about prophecy, and we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, and prophecy shapes realities. Prophecies, and I'll define it, you'll have it, it'll be on the, the screen later, but prophecies is God speaking to people, and then those people declaring what God said. And this type of prophecy shapes realities. When I was 12 years old, my mom dragged me to a church service on a Sunday night. Had to go every Sunday morning. We had to go about 75% of Sunday nights. And at this particular, and so when I was little, I'd just kind of flop around in the pews. I'd go under the chairs. And I'd try to draw stuff, and then I'd get bored. This particular Sunday morning, I was about 10 years old, or 12 years old, excuse me. So if I would have been flopping around in chairs, that might have been inappropriate at that age, right? And I didn't listen, and, and our little church, 50 people, 70 people, uh, on a Sunday night would get 30, 
people. And uh, there was an itinerant pastor who came around and uh, he gave a message. And I did not listen to the message. I was 12 years old. I was drawing. I was flopping around on the chair probably. And I didn't listen to the message. And then afterwards, he said, now some people in here need Jesus, and if you need Jesus, you need to come forward. And I was like, oh, that's me. I need some Jesus. And I... It was, a little, it was a little more reverent than that, but that was the, that was the, the, the thrust of it. And so I, I felt like I floated up to the front, and there was a, a group of, I don't know, seven or eight people, and I was fourth or fifth in line. And this man went, and he started praying for everybody, and he just prayed for him really quick, and he got to me, and he stopped. And I was like, oh, that's not, that's not good, right? Is it good? I don't know. He just stopped. And he spoke some words over me, and he said, and you will proclaim the word of the Lord. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he prayed for me, and I met God there, and, and all this cool stuff, right? And then about, I don't know, six to eight months later, a new pastor had come to the church. And uh, the, uh, they were, we were singing, the spirit was moving, and he called me out again. And he called me up and he said, I know about the prophecy that Charles is going to proclaim the word of the Lord, but that means he's going to be a preacher. And I thought, I don't really like that one as much. <laughs> I'm 12, 13 years old. I wanted to be a lawyer at that point. Because I mean, for me, what, what better job? I get to argue with people and tell them why I'm right and I get paid for it. <laughs> like, that's beautiful to me. And so... And so for, for the next 15 years of my life, those two prophetic words shaped my realities. And I tried to do other things. I tried to not become uh, a pastor. I tried not to be, get into ministry. I tried to not do it. But in the back of my head, it was always God saying, well, you know. Like, you can play dumb, but you know. Like, you can run, but you know. And every time I'd be like, I know, but stop talking to me. Right? See, it, it shapes realities. And then so I got into ministry. And the second one, I've made this, this observation before, but the second pastor, he said, call me a preacher. He said he's going to be a preacher. Like that was the exact words that he used. And nobody in California calls anybody a preacher. They don't. You call him a pastor, you call him, uh, you know, whatever they want to be called, but nobody calls him a preacher. Nobody called me a preacher until I moved to North Carolina. So I don't know what that says, but these prophecies shape realities. It shaped realities. Prophecies shaped realities for Israel the whole time, right? They lived off of prophecy. They lived on God speaking directly to them. Right? It's their, whole, their whole nation was birthed out of prophecy. In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, he tells Abram, I'm going to make a great nation of you, so go. Leave the land of your fathers. Go to this land to where I've called you, and I will make your descendants like the stars. He tells David, he prophesies to David, look, you can't build my temple, but don't worry, because your line is going to be important. Continues it with Solomon, 
prophesies through Isaiah and Jeremiah. He prophesies, uh, uh, God uh, leads prophets to them all the time, and it shapes the reality of the people of Israel. Their whole wait for the Messiah was shaped by prophecy about the Messiah. And here's what 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 say. And it says, And we have something, and we have the prophetic word more fully conformed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever given, produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along in the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All I want to do is I want to look at this. I'm just going to keep this up here. I'm going to talk about four parts in this verse, and then we'll get into the larger scope of prophecy. It says that there is, it has now been more fully confirmed to them. Uh, other translations say they have something more sure. Because all of these prophecies of the Old Testament led up to the revelation of who Jesus was as Messiah. And they kind of, they, they sort of, they didn't grasp it until after his death and resurrection. But by the time 2 Peter is written, they've had 30 years They've had 30 years to reflect on all the prophecies on Jesus' ministry and how they tie together. So he, they, Peter's looking back and he's saying, we know it better now than, than when he was alive. It's been more and more confirmed to us. right? In, the, in, my, uh, in my case, in my uh, example, when I first started to get into ministry, I was like, oh, this is the confirmation of what God spoke over me. And now, you know, 16, 17 years into ministry, I look back and I say, oh yes, it is more fully confirmed now. Because, oh, Lord, believe me, I've tried to walk away. Not from you guys, like old church, right? But the word has been more fully confirmed. And it says that we would do well to pay attention. So when God speaks, or when somebody claims to speak from God, we should pay attention. Now, the Bible says we have to test it, we have to weigh it, we have to see if it's true. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it agree with where we are in our life? Does it resonate with us? All of these things. But we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. And he says, I want you to experience it so that it rises in your hearts. And then he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. They didn't make it up. And I'll show you that it would have been really hard to make it up and get to Jesus. They didn't make it up. It was given to them, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to point out that the same Holy Spirit that carried them along now resides in you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit that told Jeremiah, write this. That same Holy Spirit, it's right in you. And he speaks. We have to listen. He speaks, he leads, he guides. This is the Holy Spirit. When we talk about biblical prophecy, 
I want you to understand the scope of prophecy in the Bible. J.B. Lane, the author of the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, estimates that 27% of the Bible is prophecy. 27%. So if you took 100 verses, 27 of them would be prophetic in nature or about prophecy. One source, and I forgot where I saw this or else I would cite it, but one source cites that there are 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,500 prophecies. Telling of what's to come. Encouraging, building up. 2,500. And I'll show us that fulfilled prophecy is one of the markers of the Bible's reliability, especially the Old Testament. That this is, this is the way that we can look at the Bible. You want to know if the Bible is a supernatural book? Study the prophecy in it. Study the prophecies about Jesus. Study the, the prophecies uh, in the Old Testament that came to pass in the Old Testament time. Study these, and you will see that the Bible is a supernatural book. Through prophecy, God gave warnings to the people of God and others associated with God's people. He uses Samuel to go tell Eli, the high priest, right? He calls out to Samuel in the night. Samuel doesn't recognize the voice. Eli says, say, I'm here, Lord, speak. And he does. And then what does Samuel have to do? He has to go to Eli as a 12-year-old. He's 12 years old. And he has to go to the high priest of Israel. And he has to go tell him, um, Eli, because you've been disobedient and because your sons are disobedient, God's going to take away your priesthood and your sons are going to die. A 12-year-old. Pharaoh, or David. David gets the prophecy. He says, God, can I build you? Can I build you a temple? God says, no, your hands are too bloody from war. You can't build it. Then Nathan tells him, but your son will build it. And your line will continue. Your line. In fact, somebody from the Davidic line will always sit on the throne. Someone in your genealogy, in your bloodline, will always sit on the throne. Pharaoh gets prophesied to by God in a dream. There's going to be, there's seven fat cows, there's seven skinny cows, and the skinny cows eat the fat cows. And Joseph has to go interpret it. Nebuchadnezzar. Go read about Nebuchadnezzar's visions. Those things are wild. Man. Daniel, go read Daniel. Hezekiah, which we went at last year. There's prophecies from the nor- to the northern kingdom, to the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom after the split, and to the 10 tribes that says, you better shape up, you better come back to honoring and following and fearing God, or somebody is going to come and take you over. And they didn't, and so Assyria comes in and takes them over. And then to the southern kingdoms, to to the tribes of of Judah and Benjamin, he says, you have to shape up. You have to come back to the Lord. Or there's going to be somebody coming in that's going to take you, and they're going to exile you away from your land. And so what happens, they don't listen, and Babylon comes in. But he also gives encouragement to the people. 
The well, one of the well-known ones is 2911, when they're in exile in Babylon. They've been taken far away and into that place where they are wondering if they are ever going to see their land again. God says, don't worry, for I have plans for you, and I know that I have plans for you. They're plans to prosper you. They're not to harm you. They're plans to give you a future and a hope. He's prophesying to them and saying, you're going to get out of exile, and you will be in the land once again. He gives encouragement to them, raises their voices. This one I like is how Yahweh challenged those who worshiped idols. There's this cool passage here. I have it. Isaiah 41, verses 23 to 24. And Jesus is sitting, or, or, or Yahweh, excuse me, he's, he's, he, he's speaking to the gods that the other people worship. Right? They were real beings, real spiritual entities, lowercase g gods that he created, that he set out over the nations, and they've rebelled. And now he's speaking to them. And he says, and he says, prophesy if you'll have any power. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed or terrified. Behold, you are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. This is God flexing. (laughs) I can tell you what comes in the future. Can you tell me? Do something. Do something so that we will love you or we'll be terrified of you. But do something. No, you can't. You're less than nothing. And anybody who chooses you is an abomination. That's how he challenged those. He used a prophet to confront Baal. He used a prophet on the top of Mount Carmel with Elijah. And they have the, they have the pyres of wood stacked. And the, the prophets of Baal cry out to Baal. Cry out to Baal. And Elijah starts trash-talking them. He can't hear you. What's wrong with him? Is he asleep? Is he on the toilet? What's going on? It's there. It's there. What's going on? And then they start to offer blood sacrifices to Baal right there. They start cutting themselves. They're offering blood sacrifices. Like, maybe our blood will move our God. And then Elijah steps up and he says, pour a whole bunch of water on it to where there's a little puddle, to where there's a moat around it. Pour that much water on it. And then he calls out to God, and God lights it up. And they chase off the prophets and do vicious things to them. And then Old Testament prophecy points to the Messiah who is to come. It's written about And Isaiah, Malachi, Micah, Joel, I just pulled out some of the big ones. But all these these prophets are speaking of a time where everything will be made right through one who is to come and to save them. I mean, if you read the minor prophets, right? So the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Daniel's kind of in his own tier. He's not really a minor prophet, but he's not a major prophet, but he's there. And then so the minor prophets are all the books that come after Daniel. 
And I could sing you the song that I learned when I was a kid so I can, how I remember. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and the last book, Malachi, right? If you go read those books while singing the song, no, if you go read those books, they're kind of depressing. Like if a book has four chapters, Four and a half chapters are all, Israel, you've messed up. Israel, you've walked away. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the, here's the terror that's going to be wreaked upon you. And then like the last half chapter is, but don't worry because someday a Messiah will come. And they have to hold on to those little half chapters and say, my goodness, there is hope. There is hope. And they had to hold on to this hope. The hope of the Messiah was the great hope of Israel. But Israel also believed that the Messiah was the great hope of the world. They foresaw this Messiah who would come and restore everything with Israel. And then Israel would then be the light that shines to the world that draws everybody in. And what does Jesus do? He goes to Israel. And he shines his light in Israel. And a bunch of people of Israel start the church. And now we're here, 5,000 miles away, worshiping the God that they spoke about. And so like I said, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. They're reading the same prophets. They're reading the same doom and gloom. They're reading the uh, the same passages and saying, what did we do? And then Jesus comes. And their prophecies about his birth. There are prophecies about the peculiarity of his mother. She's a virgin birth. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. There's a prophecy of the little town that he was to be born in. Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. That's beautifully written. But I can imagine this. So the way that, that the governance would happen within the tribe, so they belonged to the tribe of Judah. But they were so small that they weren't really even recognized. They weren't. If they were sending soldiers to war, nobody went to Bethlehem to get warriors. They were that small of a clan. And I can imagine them at the clan meetings. Oh, um, Judah's clans meetings. Um, I can imagine them there. And they're like, okay, what tribe, how many are you sending? What family, how many are you sending? How many are you sending? Bethlehem, anybody? Nope. Come on, Bethlehem. Step up. They're like, hey, we got the Messiah coming. Lay off. We can't be killed in war. We got the Messiah coming. Okay. All right. They held on to that. That was the flag in their hat, the feather in their cap. There's prophecies about his bloodline. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It's going to come from Jesse, who came all the way, traced the lineage back to Abram or Abraham. 
trace the lineage all the way back there. Right? The, that, that this is why we have, this is why we have the, the genealogies at the beginning of the New Testament. It's to show the bloodline of Jesus. To show the bloodline of the Messiah. This is one of my favorite prophecies here. The scepter of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here's what, what does this mean? Here's what the rabbis taught. They taught that this verse gave Judah, the scepter of Judah, was the ability to try capital cases. If somebody was accused of something that in the Mosaic law was a capital offense, they would go to the tribe of Judah to have them tell if the person should be executed or spared. And they would, they would educate, they would uh, oversee all enforcements of the Mosaic law. That was Judah. That's what they did. And they did that throughout all of Israel's history. In fact, you might have heard of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the tribe of Judah's capital court. That's what that was. And so the Sanhedrin is, is alive and well all throughout Jewish history. And then in 70 AD, or no, excuse me, 7 AD, a man named Caponius comes into power and he takes away the right for the Sanhedrin to try capital cases and gives that power to Rome. The scepter's removed from Judah. And the members of the Sanhedrin start to mourn. Wait a minute. This isn't supposed to happen until Shiloh comes. This isn't supposed to happen until the Messiah's here. What's going on? So they put on sackcloth and ashes and go mourn in the streets because they believe that the word has failed, but they don't know in some little dusty town off the beaten path, there's a 10-year-old boy. And that 10-year-old boy is learning to hammer nails from his dad. But he is going to grow up and he is going to be the one to lead Israel out of spiritual exile into the new kingdom he has created. They just had to wait. 20 years, 20 years later, he burst onto the scene. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it, of all of it. He's the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament is looking for. This is what Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. What promises of God is Paul talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament hasn't been canonized yet. So he says, every promise that you're looking for in the Old Testament finds its yes in Jesus, that Jesus is the one. And that's why we, uh, that's why we say yes, amen, to the glory of God the Father. This is what prophecy does. It shaped the reality of Israel until Jesus comes and says, I'm everything you're looking for, and I'm fulfilling everything in me. All the prophecies about the great Messiah and Savior point to Jesus. And ultimately, ultimately, fulfilled prophecy was used to authenticate Jesus as Messiah. There's prophecies about his birth. If you took the total population of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth and you divided it by the 
population of Bethlehem, there's only a one in 300,000 300, chance that he's born in Bethlehem. That's how small Bethlehem was. There's prophecies about his birth. There's, there's prophecies about his ministry that he uses to authenticate himself. John's, John, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, they're, they're coming with, with uh, these words of questioning from John. John's like, Jesus, are you the one to come? I am rotting away in prison, and I want to know that I am not rotting away in prison in vain. Are you really the Messiah? And he sends his servants out, his disciples to Jesus, and they ask him this. And Jesus says, hold on one second. Just wait right there and watch. And then he goes over and he starts healing people. Starts healing everybody who's around him. And then he walks back over to John's disciples and he says, go tell them this. And he starts to quote passages from Isaiah. The blind receive their sight. The lame are healed. Right? The deaf ears are open. Go tell John that. Jesus uses Old Testament prophecy to say, yes, I am exactly who you're waiting for. There's prophecies about his death. The most well-known is Isaiah 53. He was crushed for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities and for the chastisement. And our chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. There's prophecies about his kingdom all over. There's a temple and there's a, a, a river that's flowing out of the temple and it starts shallow, but it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in Ezekiel and it keeps going. And that's the kingdom of God going out. There's, there's a college in Santa Barbara, California. It's called Westmont College. Santa Barbara, California is one of the most beautiful cities in California. It's right on the beach, perfect weather all the time. A little foggy for my taste, but still pretty much perfect weather all the time. If you want to go to this college, it's called Westmont. If you want to go, it's a private Christian college. I know uh, I had a couple of my former students who had gone there. If you wanted to go, it's, you can get in, but you'll be in debt for the rest of your life. And your children might also be in debt because everybody wants to live in Santa Barbara. There was a professor at Westmont. He was a, he was a math professor there. And he decided to, to do some formulas and work his, his math wizardry, right, with stuff that I don't understand. And he probably used numbers and, or letters instead of numbers, which just goes against God's will, I think. And all of these, all these different things. And so he took, he says, let's just take eight major prophecies. Let's take eight major prophecies about Jesus. What are the odds that one person fulfills Eight prophecies. He took his birth, the timing, all of this. Eight prophecies. One in this number. <laughs> that number's so big, we could just make up a name and nobody could really tell us that we're wrong. So this is one in a sesquitillion. One with 17 zeros after it. That he would fulfill eight prophecies. And so, and then he said, okay, that's incredible, that's amazing, the prophecies have to be accurate, real, Jesus is exactly what it said. Then he said, okay, let's take 48 of the most um, validated prophecies, 48 of the most well-known prophecies, the ones that the, the rabbis paid the most attention, let's take 48 of them that Jesus fulfilled. For one man to fill 48, one in that number. That's a one 
with 157 zeros after it. Fact check me. I counted. 157. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. He said uh, to explain the, the previous number of just eight prophecies with one in 17 zeros. He said it would be like if you stack silver dollars over the whole area of Texas. It would be something like three feet high. And you have to find the one coin that is marked. The one coin. That's who Jesus is. These are the prophecies that he's fulfilled. And he comes not only in a fulfillment of prophecy, but he inaugurates and initiates a new era of prophecy. Jesus becomes the prophet for Israel. There is... Uh, there is this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and it says one day a prophet's gonna rise up from the nation of Israel and everybody must listen to him or they'll face, or they'll face the eternal punishment. They are the one that he is to listen to and it's Jesus. He's fulfilled. He prophesied several times. Matthew 24 and Luke 21 predicted, predict the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Painstaking detail. He actually gives the timing of it. He prophesies his death on several occasions. He tells disciples, I'm going to go. I'm going to be captured. They're going to take me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. Then he prophesies his resurrection. But don't worry because I'm going to rise again. That's all you need to know. And then Jesus tells us that that we will do the same works as him. In John chapter 14, 12. So the same Holy Spirit that prophesied, uh, that, that, that led the prophets in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit that, that Jesus was anointed with so that he could prophesy. That same Holy Spirit has now been given to us and Jesus says, look, I'm going away so that you can do the same things that I've done. This new era of prophecy Jesus inaugurates and then he gives us the Holy Spirit and we live in this Holy Spirit era. And when the Spirit is first poured out in Acts chapter 2, What does it say? And in the last days of the old covenant, what that's referencing. This is not some future last days uh, rapture thing. This is in the last days of the old covenant. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So it's for the young. And your young men shall see vision and your old men shall dream dreams. For young men, it's for old men, it's for all ages. And even on my male servants and my female servants, so it's not, it's not uh, to one class of person. It's not to just the elite, it's not just to the poor, it's, not, it's for everyone in between. On those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. This is, this is the promise, right? You wanna know how the Holy Spirit's come? Everybody can prophesy. Everybody can hear from God and then speak what God says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. 
tells him love is the highest standard. Let love drive everything that you do. But man, all these things that I've been talking to you about, you know, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, right? Tongues, interpretation of tongues, you know, all those things that I just wrote to you, pursue them. Go after them in your life. Earnestly desire them, especially that you might prophesy. And I said last week, I I don't believe that God says pursue something if it's not attainable for us. He doesn't play games. He doesn't trick us. He doesn't pull the rug out from under us. (laughs) I was just joking when I told you to pursue all of that and earnestly desire that. It's attainable. Prophecy, just, to, just so we're talking about what, what we're going to end, end this message with. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. That's a quote by Jack Deere. I didn't doctor it up in any way. That's exactly what he wrote, so I can't say that I helped him write it. But that is his word. His new book just came out, Still Surprised by the Voice of God. You should get that. You should read it. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation. So when I tell you, when I tell you that you should earnestly desire to prophesy, here's what I am saying. I am saying that God, through his Holy Spirit, because Jesus made a way, can speak to you, uniquely to you, Yes, the number one way he speaks is through his word. Absolutely. But he will speak to you in your prayer time. He will speak to you through nature. He will speak to you when you're walking in the store. He will speak to you if you're listening. The voice of God is a birthright for his children. My sheep know my voice is what Jesus says. So for you to hear the voice of God is probable and expected of Jesus by Jesus. Now, that that is just for self-edification and building up. And so when I'm talking about prophecy, I am saying that you can say, okay, God, what do you want to say to someone else? And he can speak to you, and you can proclaim that to someone else. And I've taught on this a lot. I've taught about ways that you do it correctly and ways that you do it incorrectly. I don't have time to rehash that. But just know God can speak to you individually, where you are through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And then he can also speak to you for other people. And so when we hear this report from God, it is a divine revelation. Prophecy builds up the church, it encourages the church, and it consoles the church. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. <clears throat> the church... The church is going to have to become the prophetic voice for the United States of America. Politics cannot be the prophetic voice. Presidents cannot be prophetic voices. They can, but they have not shown that they are. Senators have not shown that they are. Mayors have not shown that they are. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just saying, in general, this is not what is happening. The church needs to become the prophetic voice for the nation, and here's why. Because this is going to start happening. It's happening in England, and it's gonna start happening here. The crown 
prosecution services. In England and Wales, and most of you know now a little bit about England and Wales because of the World Cup going on, right? You know that they're two different places, but they're connected. England and Wales. The Crown Prosecution Service is like our DA system, our district attorney system. They prosecute the offenses that people have. And recently, they brought charges against a man. A man by the name of, sorry, I'm looking at my phone because I had to look it up because I wasn't going to talk about this, but I felt during prayer and uh, praise time that I'm supposed to. A man named John Dunn, he was an evangelist. And he was evangelizing open air in a city. And he was confronted by two women who were living in a homosexual relationship. And he told them that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that those who practice homosexuality do not inherit the kingdom of God. They went and they told. And James Dunn was taken in for prosecution for quoting the Bible to someone. Here's what they said. He said, whether a statement of Christian belief or not, this is the Crown Prosecution Services. This is the official people who prosecute things. Whether a statement of Christian belief or not, whether, whether Christians believe that or not, the court is being asked to consider whether the language has potential to cause harassment, alarm, or distress. So I'm going to tell you something that I believe. Can't find it in the word. If you say it to somebody else, I'll probably deny it. Social media is creating a generation of people who are empowered when they are victims, okay? I believe it's been done on purpose so that they will feel victimized when the Bible is spoken plainly and truthfully to them. We've already conditioned them. We've already, right? We've already conditioned a generation through TikTok, through Instagram, to feel, through Twitter, to feel offended when somebody says something about them, true or not. We've already propagated mental illness in form of gender theory, and they have the right to be offended when you insult their demons. And so what happens here is that this court has now said their feelings were hurt when you told them to it. We're going to prosecute them. Here's what they wrote. There are references in the Bible which are simply no longer appropriate in modern society and which would be deemed offensive if stated in public. This is not some country that's off the map that we don't that we have that has no influence. This is this is in England. Now they ultimately didn't prosecute him because they couldn't find the two women. But he was arrested and they wrote this. And here's why the church needs to become the prophetic voice for the nation because the Church of England said nothing. Nothing. They didn't step in to fight. And so when this happens, on a larger scale, the church needs to stand up and say, no, the word of the Lord is true and just and righteous. 
And at the name of Jesus, everything's going to bow. So bow right now or bow later, but you will bow. We need to be the prophetic voices done in love, right? Pursue love and then seek to prophesy. But pursue love in love, not so we can be right, not because we can scream the loudest, not because, not because we think we have some moral high ground, but because we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords and the one who said to all the other ones, if anybody chooses you, they are an abomination. It builds up the church. Church will need to be built up. It encourages the church. And it consoles the church. How does it console the church? When I was in Costa Rica last year, there was a woman. We were at a worship service and people are praying. And she came up to me and she said, I want you to give me a word. I want you to give me a prophetic word. And by, I've told that, the story about my trip there. By that time, um, God had been using me and I had been um, hearing him clearly. She came up to me. And I, I gave her a word, and I said, I, I, I just saw a picture, and I saw a picture of her in a raft, and she was going through white water, like the big rapids, the big waves. And she's going through it, and she's holding on for dear life. And I told her this, and she starts weeping. And I said, but don't worry, because... After the rapids, there's smooth, serene water that you're just floating on, and she's weeping. And I thought, all right, thank you, God. And I went away to pray. And at this time, it got, it got really silent in the room because they were doing the lead ministry um, was happening, and it was, it was this call for repentance that everybody was supposed to stop and repent and, and do all this. So I go over, and I lay down on the floor, and I'm just praying and he, I felt like God said, go ask her about her daughter. And I said, uh, okay. Anything more than that? Go ask her about her daughter. So I go over and I had to bring a translator over and it's still quiet in the room. And I'm just, I go over and I say, um, do you have any daughters? She said, yes, I have three. And she starts to say more in Spanish, but I don't understand her. So I said, I said, stop, don't tell her not to say anything. I don't want to know anything about her daughter. I said, okay, but tell, tell me about the middle one. That's what I felt like God highlighted. And she starts breaking down again. And the night, two nights before she came to this meeting, her daughter had come to her and said that she was going to pursue a homosexual relationship. And so I said, God, what do, I, what do you want to say here? Like, what, what do I, how do I answer that? And he told me to just tell her, tell her I'm not done with her daughter yet. And it's okay. Just continue to trust. And so I said that. And it's quiet. Everybody's repenting. And she starts like dancing. And she's like, praise. And she's saying it in Spanish, but she's like, praise Jesus. Yes. Ah. And she's dancing. And I'm like, ah, I don't want them to know I caused this. So I slinked away <laughs> quietly. 
But she was consoled in that moment because God spoke to her. This is what happens when we speak the words that we hear God say. God's voice is for you. I'm closing. God's voice is for you. The same one that told Isaiah that he was going to be born of a virgin. The same one that told Micah that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. The same spirit that told these prophets to look forward to a time. The same spirit that told Malachi that there was going to be a son of righteousness with healing in his wings. That same Holy Spirit lives in you. God's voice is for you. And it does need to be learned. Because we have trained ourselves to listen to every other voice but God's. We have trained ourselves to listen to the culture's voice. We have trained ourselves to listen to the own negative voices in our head. We've trained ourselves to listen to the enemy's voice and believe that. But we need to train ourselves, get rid of distractions, spend time with him, and train ourselves. The gift of discernment is grown by constant practice, says in Hebrews. You, you can be used to impact someone by telling them what you think God is saying to them. I never say to somebody, if somebody asks me for a prophetic word, I, I give one a little spontaneously. I never say, God says, because I'm only sometimes 10% sure that God's saying something. So I will say, I think God is saying this to you, you take it, you weigh it, you test it. Is it for you? Right? But what I think God is saying to them, I will say. Then you say, well, Charles, how do you know? How do you know if it's God speaking to you? How do you know if what you're supposed to say is right? There's only one way to know. Take the risk. That's the only way. And I know when I say that, some of you get that feeling in your stomach where you just kind of want to bend over and be like, oh. Because it's scary. It is. You're putting yourself out there. People might look at you strange. You'll learn to love those looks after a while. Trust me. Take the risk. Take the risk. Take the risk. But we only get to do this because of Jesus. It's him. He is at the center of it. He is in all authority under heaven and earth. He is the one who sits now ruling and reigning, waiting and anticipating his kingdom being expanded and taken everywhere until the whole earth is under the shade of the mustard seed that has grown into a tree. That's what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus stands at the center. The prophecies. Look at the prophecies. It shows you that he is the Messiah. He is the one that came to save the world. He's the one that right now you could say, Father, because of Jesus, I just want to come back to you. I just want to follow you. I just, I want my life to be about you. And in that moment, he forgives you. He makes you righteous. He brings you into the family and he says, come on home. Because Jesus came to save the world. Jesus came to restore everything to himself. All of it. 
And the Bible also tells us that right now you are sitting in a chair that is held together by his voice. That you can move and, and breathe and you are, I can't go through my own hand because he is holding you together. Him, him, his death restored us to the Father. We're made holy and his Holy Spirit dwells in us. This is the gospel. These two points are the gospel that he came to save us. His death and his resurrection does that and we are now made vessels for the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, the same one that guided the Old Testament authors, we have the ability to hear from God. You can hear. Will you listen? You can hear. Will you go through the training necessary? You can hear. Will you take the risk? You can hear. Will you be okay with being called strange? You can hear. Here's what I want you to think about. Who was Jesus? Because if he is everything that the prophecies said he was, there is no other response that we could have but to fall on our knees and say, save us, Messiah. Save us, Lord. Save us. Are you willing to be obedient to the word, pursue love, the spiritual gifts, and especially that you would hear from God for others, that you would prophesy. Are you willing to be obedient? Right? This is not a matter of, this is not a matter of, uh, well, maybe I'd like to, but I don't really think it's for me. It's not a matter of, oh, it stopped after the canonization of Scripture. Oh, th- th- this, is not, th- this is not an argument about those things. This is an argument about obedience to the Word of God. The very word of God that we believe was Holy Spirit inspired, that very same word says, pursue love and go after the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Will you be obedient? It's not a matter of wanting to or not wanting to. There are lots of things that God tells me to do that in the moment I say, God, I don't want to. It's too big, it's too scary, it's too dangerous. It goes against my natural narcissism. It goes against all of these things that I'm fighting against and I don't want to do it. And God says, well, I said it, you do it. He talks to me like that sometimes. But will you be, are you willing to be obedient? And if, if you're thinking, if you're saying, well, I would love to hear more about that. I don't know, I want, I want to, Charles, but I don't know where to start. Email me. I can send you stuff that I've taught about, stuff that other people have taught about it, places to start. And here's what I want you to do. I think uh, Lauren introduced something like this a few weeks ago. When we're worshiping or singing our last song, when we're leaving to go along with our days, when we're doing all of that, here's what you do. You're like, okay, I, I do it, I believe it, I see it, I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to go after it. How, how do I start? When do I start? Start now. You ask God to highlight a person for you. God, who do you want to highlight to me? Holy Spirit, just speak. Who do you want to highlight? Your attention might be drawn to somebody, you might look at somebody automatically. You might have this feeling, a name. 
Ask God. Highlight somebody for me. And then if he does, you say, okay, God, what verse do you want me to tell them? We'll keep it easy and biblical. What verse do you want to tell them? Sometimes, sometimes it's a verse you know. Sometimes it's a verse you don't know. Sometimes just two or three verse words from a verse go, and you're like, what is that verse? Where is it? What is it? And then you just pull out your phone, and you Google those words, and the verse will come up. Ask God to give you a verse. And then, here's the hard part, right? It's going to be normal for this Sunday for somebody to come up to you and say, hey, God highlighted you to me. Here's the verse that I think he gave. And then you give the verse. But you have to take that step. So that means that maybe if you usually rush out of church really quick, you might miss someone catching you and saying, here's what I think God wants to say to you. So maybe you linger for an extra few minutes. Maybe you go downstairs, get your kids, and bring them back up with you for a little bit. But you can step out. You can take that risk. Stand with me. Father, you said it. I believe it. Lord, you said it. I choose to believe it. Now give me the strength, the courage, the discernment. Help me to take the necessary steps empowered by the Spirit to do what you've called me to. You said it. I believe it. Help me. Help me. Father, your word says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Your word tells us that if an outsider hears the prophetic word of God, that they fall down on their face and say, surely God is here. Father, let the spirit of Jesus be active. In your name. want to pray, work it out. Pansy's on the ministry team. My wife is on the ministry team. You can come to myself. You can come to the altar and pray by yourself. He said it. Let's be obedient. I feel like the Lord wants us just to magnify his name as we start out. Jesus Messiah. Yeah.
Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. That's the one that has stood out to me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Where is your heart? Jesus is looking at the heart. Check your heart today. Ask him, where is my heart? Don't be double-minded. Double-minded is wanting God one minute, Sunday morning, and wanting it your own way later. Check your heart. And Jesus says, I love you. 
Father, thank you for your deep love for us. I thank you that you see us, that you know us. That you want to speak to us, you want to speak through us. You've chosen to partner with us. was saying, he was showing me a picture of somebody standing like this, arms crossed, holding it off. I actually looked around to see if I saw anybody standing like that, so I could go yell out, no. Um, it's someone who's heard this message, they've heard me give it, they've heard me teach it. They just want no part of it. And God, I believe, is saying, just go like this. Take it from here and go like this. Test him and see what he can do. This is you, and you want prayer, I would love to pray for you before you leave. Father, you speak, you show, you're living, you're active, your word is living and active. You dwell among your people when we praise you. We these promises that you are with us right now. We have all these promises that you are with us as we go. Father, I pray that this week we would live like we believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Lauren told you about all the stuff we have coming up. Grab the schedule off the back coming up so you can be here during the holiday season. Thank you. God bless. Amen.